You are listening to the People-Centric Podcast, where we talk through the toughest challenges that people face at work and give practical advice to fixing those challenges. Thanks for joining our movement to create workplaces that are happier, healthier, aligned, and empowered by putting people at the center of all that we do. Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Bonnie Bell. We're watching the Ozarks today, and joining me in the studio is one of my favorite interviews, usually, is Don Harkey from People-Centric Consulting, and that's because I get to talk all sorts of business topics, and I can throw all sorts of strange questions at you, and you always seem to go with it. I I feel like you and I could lock ourselves in a room together for just a couple days and just let the tape roll and see what we get. You know what I mean? Yeah, and just talk. See where we end up, It's just fun. Yeah, you're fun to talk to, too. I love love coming here and chatting with you. We have a good time. Great. Then we should have a great hour. I think this will be fun. I um, I loved the headline of an article that you wrote recently. Maybe we shouldn't start with the right people. Not exactly something that you he- expect to hear from somebody in business. I, th- I thought it was always about, you know, the right people with the right stuff. Yeah, you always start with the right people, you know, and then you, and then you get them there. in the right seats from that and everything. And yeah, and, and we wrote that because it, maybe you already have the right people. Maybe you already have the right people. There's a lot of places that we go to that say, oh, our people, our people aren't good. I, I tell a story a lot of times. We had a manager that came to us. This was years ago. And said, hey, I need some help. I've got some terrible people on my team. <laughs> Literally, I've got terrible people. And I thought, okay, well, how many people do you have on your team? And he said, I got 23 people on my team. And I said, how many of them are terrible? And he says, 23 terrible people. Does that not mean he was a bad hirer? That's exactly what I got to tell him. That's the Thank fun part you. about being a consultant is we could say, no, maybe not a bad hirer. Because even if you were hiring, think about this, Bonnie. If you were hiring people, hiring is a little bit of a hit and miss, right? Sometimes True. people will fool you. So let's say I wanted to fill a team with 23 really bad people. Let's see. Uh, that was my goal. And I'm looking for 23 of the worst people you could possibly find. Uh-huh. The odds are, for those of you who have hired before, and you know this is true, you'd probably accidentally hire somebody good. Yeah, just run just, into them just by pure chance. Just by pure chance. Somebody said, I just really needed the job. And so I managed to fake my way into being bad so that you could I could hire and then secretly be good for you. So what's probably going on there more, and when we got into working with that company, you could see it, is that it's not one bad hiring manager. It's just a bad manager. How come hiring isn't a science? Well, I wish it was. And I'll tell you what, we would make a lot of money if it was. If we could figure out how to, how to actually turn that into that? Yeah. I was is talk- it just because people either aren't who they think they are or aren't who they present themselves as? I think there's a lot. I think there's probably a little bit of both. Right. I, I think that we don't know. Yeah, I like how you said that, because you think about there's two people in the process, at least. Right. Sometimes right. there's more than that. There's the interviewer mm-hmm. who may not be sure exactly what they're looking for in terms of the position. Right. They may not be sure about what they're hearing and they may not be sure how to ask the questions to determine whether that person's the right fit. And then there is the interviewee who's sitting there just trying to get the job. Right. And thinking, what's the right answer? What are you looking for? What do you want me to say next? Oftentimes. And so maybe they're not being as honest with themselves or even with the interviewer as they could be. So, yeah, it makes it kind of tough. And I would think that, and maybe not, but I, I would just think that it would also depend on the age of the interviewee and how much experience they have. Because if they don't have a lot, they really don't know 
who they are in a workplace. Yeah, yeah, you're still learning. Tell me about your strengths to a 22-year-old person coming right out of college yeah. or something. And, it's like, you know, they're saying I can get from campus to here yeah. without getting lost. <laughs> I graduated, I, <laughs> I got through school, or I, yeah. did the, I learned my trade, or this is the experience I have so far. Whatever. And, yeah. and you really don't know, because I remember that first job, and luckily I had somebody who saw something in me that I didn't see in me and they were able to bring it out. Mm. And I would think that would be the best kind of manager. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. The manager who says, I'm going to take people. That's the point of the whole article, right? It's that if you, if, let's forget about the right people for a second. Let's take. If I assume you're the right person, then maybe you can become that. You know, there was a study that was done in a school system and for, I'm not going to be able to quote scripture here in terms of where gotcha. exactly that came from, but there was a school system and they said, let's, take some teachers and we're going to do your dream year. We're going to give you the best students from throughout the school this year. We're going to give you the best of the best and we're going to put them all into one class and we're going to see what happens. And so I, I, it's funny, my, my dad was a teacher uh, for, for his whole life and I imagine he would love that, right? Come, right? come We're going to yeah, give you sure. only the best of the best students Who in your wouldn't? classroom. It's amazing, right? Yes. So they did that. They went through the whole year and the class was amazing, right? It was exactly the way you would expect it to go. The test scores just flew out, just off the charts high. Everybody said it was the best year they've ever had. Totally not a surprise until at the very end of the year, they revealed that they did not pick the best students, that they picked random students for the class. So the study showed that the students rose to the level of the teacher's expectations or teacher or the other way to put it is they will also fall to the level of the teacher's expectations. We tell this to managers a lot because right now there's a lot. We've talked about generations at work and we've got the, mm -hmm. the we've got the Gen, uh, the Gen Z's coming into the workforce right, right. now. Right. We've had the millennials coming in. We're misaligned and told that they were bad. And all the, way back to, that. all the way back to Gen Xers when I came into the workforce right. and how bad we were and yeah. all of that. And we always lived through that. I think that we, we try to tell managers, like, if you have the mindset that the young workforce coming in is terrible, you're probably going to treat them like they're terrible. And then they're probably going to act like they're terrible. But if you have the other mindset... Um, and haven't we learned that also, like in, in many of the inner city schools, um, I remember there's a, there was a, a woman, her first name was Marva. Don't remember what the last name was, but she was in Chicago. They even made a movie out of her. Oh yeah. And it was one of those inner city schools that everybody thought, uh, you know, the, the youngsters would never do anything. And she was the principal of the school and she set some high standards and it was just amazing. You're right. They have, they have a huge impact. And it's the same kids that are going through that. And it's, it's hard as a manager to think that that could be true. It's easier to think, well, I've just got some bad people. It's harder to think about yourself and saying, well, maybe it's something I'm doing. Maybe it's the way that I'm talking to them. Maybe it's the way I'm treating them. Maybe I'm not supporting them enough. Maybe I'm not setting objectives. I think that what if we changed our mindset as hiring people, as, as employers, what if we just said, hey, if you're on our team, you belong here and you're a rock star, unless proven otherwise, right? That doesn't mean that we never yeah. fire people. That doesn't mean there's not right. bad fits for positions. All right. of that stuff happens. But we're talking about like a general employees here. So if you have the mindset that it takes the right people and it's incredibly rare to find the right people, then you're, it's going to be incredibly rare for you to find the right people. And you're going to be disappointed for a long time. You're going to be disappointed for a long time. So let me ask you a question. In... In Don's perfect world, would all managers have to go through management training? I mean, above and beyond, you know, with taking management and marketing in college and, you know, thinking that you know all, you know, end all, be all. 
um, would they would there be some kind of of you know marketing national training class so that they don't mess everything up? Because it seems to me like um, we we need to manage our managers better. Yeah, I think and so I like in my perfect world. First thing I thought of is my Cornhuskers would be undefeated yeah. again. <laughs> That's the first thing I, I thought of. Okay, when that you is said that. Okay, along with the Cornhuskers, but along with being the Cornhuskers yeah. being undefeated, I would probably say, yeah. I mean, I think that every I, look, if you start at a fast food place and you're making French fries in the back, they're going to train the heck out of you to make those French fries. They're going to tell you this right. is the temperature for the oil, so you don't set this sure. on fire. Here's how long you keep the French fries in there. They're going to watch you do it. They're going to make sure you do it right. They're going to check on your work and do all that stuff. And then if you get really, really good at that job. Yeah. Then what we're, we do suddenly is some our mindset shifts for some reason in our culture. And we say, now what I'm going to do is you're really good at that job. So I'm going to have you now lead and motivate other people. <laughs> but I'm not going to give you a lick of training on how to do that. Just no. today, you're yesterday, you were not in charge. And today you're in charge. Because and we put, you were we, so good at fries. You were so good at making those fries after I explained it to you over and over again. That now for some reason, wow. I think you can help other people. To not just make fries, but how to get, learn how to work together, learn how to communicate together, how to hold them accountable, how to have difficult conversations, how to give positive feedback. I mean, it's 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 un, not surprising at all. And I would say it's not even my perfect world. I'll bet if we polled a group of managers, oh, a lot of them have not received management training. We would say, would you like management training? And they would say, yes, please, especially if it's practical and it's relevant to my job on a day-to-day basis. Yes, I would love some help on the things that I do. It's, um, I often wonder, you know, we went through the COVID year and everybody got to stay home. Everybody had a lot of time on their hands. Mm -hmm. Uh, didn't know what you're going to do with yourself because, you know, we all sat at home and worked 40 hours a week from our couch. Yeah. Yeah. Fully dressed. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every Professionally dressed. Every single day. Shoes on every day. Mm -hmm. Yes. Got up and did that. Um, once again, your perfect world. Will we, have, will we all have used some of that extra time that we weren't actually working to try to educate ourselves better? Is, is management something that you can self-train? Or is management something that is has to be done, help, you have to have help with? Yeah, I think that it's funny. I, I think that it's two things that strike me there, Bonnie. So one is that if yeah, we were at home and maybe we weren't working the whole time. That's true in the office too. Well, that good point. So I just, I think about that, but that's, that's true. It, yeah. And can managers self-train? That's what most of us did. Most of us were put into management positions without having any training. So what do you do is you learn it on the fly or you try to go read a book or you But try isn't to that do... the problem? We're learning it on the I, fly. Yeah. I mean, I think that you don't have someone from experience. I mean, you can learn how to do a lot of things on the fly, but then you don't get to benefit from the knowledge of an experience of people who come before you. There's the saying, I think it was Benjamin Franklin said, only fools or uh, experience is the best teacher, but the rest of that is only fools learn from experience. Right. Why would you want to learn from experience when you can learn from other people's experience? Why go through all the failures that you're going to go through? Look, the management job is hard enough. If you, you could have somebody else train you on exactly what to do, you're still going to mess it up. You're still going to step in and make some mistakes. But if you can learn from others, then you can avoid some mistakes too. So this is my this is my head scratcher in all of this because it's not like curing cancer. I mean, one would think that that all, you know all of these CEOs and and people who run these huge Fortune five hundred companies, so forth, you know, would understand that. that. That they should train their managers. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. 
What, I mean, the, I don't the, want to put you out of a job because I know you walk around, you go around doing all these conferences saying you need to do this, you know, train managers. Yeah. and But there's still a perspective that this is still soft, that this is the, these are soft skills. We talk about soft skills and whoever termed soft skills has really done a disservice because soft skills have a hard impact on a day to day. And I think most people I, I'm get, I'm, list, I'm thinking about putting myself in the car and the places with the listeners that are out there and they're probably nodding their heads especially if they work inside companies going, yes, please train my manager. Please help me. <laughs> or if you are the manager or the frontline supervisor, saying, please train me. Please train me. All of this. It's a big struggle. What? Uh, okay. A soft skill. Supposedly, I guess that's what, uh, not as important, but don't answer that question because producer Arlen just said we only have a minute left. So I'm going to go ahead and say, everybody, you stay with us because we've got a whole lot more to talk about and you're going to want to make sure you're listening. This is Watching the Ozarks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to Watching the Ozarks. Don Harkey is with me here from PeopleCentric, and we're talking about just a lot of um, kind of interesting things. Before I move on to the next topic, let me just ask this question. Are we, um, have things evened out now on the hiring, finding people to hire, um, you know, because we went through that we can't find enough people. Then we went from we can't find enough people to, oh, we're going to lay some people off because now all of a sudden we've got too many people. So where do we stand now? We are still not finding enough people. In okay. General. So there is going to be there. That shortage is not something that's gone away. Um, it has sh shifted a little bit. So there was this we, we talked, I think, last time you and I talked, we talked about the great resignation and people yes. leaving their jobs. That has slowed down. Um, I okay. think a lot of people figured out the grass isn't always greener. greener on the other side, yeah. We work a lot in healthcare, and a lot of healthcare workers went to fast food places to go work. And then they worked at those fast food places for a few months and went, this is not better. Why did I think this was going to be better or lower stress? I'm going to go back um, in, into other positions. So I think that has slowed down. So people aren't moving around as much. But still, the numbers show that there, I think I looked recently, there's 11 million job openings still unfilled in the United States right now. Um, it's still very high rate. And just the numbers in terms of people retiring versus the people entering into the job market, they don't match up. So there's going to, we're going to be at this deficit for the rest of this decade. Is any of it um, industry centric? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Some industries are shifting. Yeah. And you'll see it differently. We work a lot, like I said, in healthcare and, you know, I just came from a conference and healthcare is having terrible time finding positions like medical assistants, x-ray technicians, those, those, those types of frontline positions that require significant amount of training and expertise to get into, um, they're, they're struggling to find people. But like we said last time, not everybody's struggling to find people. The people who are really good employers, uh, we're, we live in an age where fortunately we can find out what our job's going to be like before we go work someplace, and people do that. So I use the analogy of the restaurant. You know, if the restaurant's food is bad, and they start to complain, well, nobody's out there buying food right now. That's not true. They're out there buying food. They're just not buying your food. So if you're out there and you're not getting applicants for positions, the tough message I have for you is it might be because your food's bad. Ooh, that's one of those looking in the mirror things. People don't like to do that. They don't like to do that. But it's good news because then you can do something about it versus waiting that's on the market or waiting for the next generation to catch up or true. whatever that is. There's opportunities to invest. And like, you know, we, we, going back to our last conversation, we talked about how managers aren't trained and should we train managers? Well, we know statistically that 70% of all of disengagement is created by the manager. You know, people don't quit their jobs. They quit their supervisor. They quit their manager. 
right? Yeah. We know that that is really true. So why would we not invest in that if the job market is tough and we know that the employees have the upper ed- edge on this job market? Why would we not make sure that our managers are well-trained so that our food is good as an employment experience? Well, and uh, talking about the first topic you were talking about with medical, the good news on that front, I would think, and I don't know that every community is doing it, but over the last year, I've been very um, impressed and excited over some of the steps that the schools are taking. Yes. You know, banding together to, you know, look into more medical train, you know, fields, opening up those classes with OTC and even the Springfield School District. Yeah, they've both done an amazing job of working together and really listening to industry, uh, which is really, really cool. They're thinking long term about workforce development challenges. And I know our chamber has really pressed that yes. issue. And it feels like we're very aligned on that. Um, those are just going to be slower solutions. It's going to take a minute to get all those students through high school and through college and all the training and then get them out on the job force. Right. Uh, And when that happens, there's going to be a flood of people coming up and that's about 2030 ish or so. Then the wave will, will end in terms of the flow out. Now you travel a lot and and you're with a lot of businesses. Are you seeing the same um, across the nation? Yeah, it's, it's funny because it's the same across the nation, but not the same across the businesses inside different components of the nation. So like I was at a conference just last week um, locally here, just like Lake of the Ozarks, and it was a bunch of healthcare practices. And I asked the question, how many of you are struggling to find people? And there were about 10 different practices in the room, and nine of them raised their hand. I noticed the one that didn't. I said, you're not having trouble, sir? And he said, no, I'm not having any trouble. Are you hiring people? And he said, yes, I'm having no trouble hiring people. And I said, tell us about some of the things that you're doing that you credit that. And guess what he's doing? He's doing weird things like he's training his managers on how to be good managers. He's making sure that his hiring process really highlights their culture and their purpose. He's making sure he's on board his employees right. He makes sure they communicate really effectively. He makes sure that the managers give positive and negative feedback to the employees. He makes sure that they understand what winning looks like inside the organization. It's that framework that we talk about a lot. They've got a lot of that in place. And it makes them a weirdly good employer. Their food is really, really good. And so they have no trouble attracting talent. You know, I would think that just along those lines, because you were talking with leaders in their companies, that working with the owner of the company, um, where I I know that would be the optimum thing, but I would imagine that would be more difficult because I would think owners would be happy to tell you my managers need help. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know how happy they would be to look at you and say, I need help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's a mix. And, and so just, I mean, a little glimpse into like our world. It's the first question that we're asking when we consider working with somebody. You know, we don't just take every client that yeah. could come to us. If, if you come to us and say, everybody around me is broken, but I'm fine. <laughs> you know, going back to that call, my 23 right. people, you know, my answer was, well, do you tell me what do you think is more likely? We found 23 bad people or I have one bad manager. Right. And he leaned into that. He's like, okay, well, then what am I doing wrong? And so now game on. Now you just have to have, yeah. It does start at the top. You're absolutely right. And, and so you just have to have somebody there at the top willing to listen. To listen and to invest in that. And then the culture happens kind of in the middle. And I would think that that's probably, um, that most people would do that. I mean, nobody wants to see their business go down the drain. Uh, you know, so I would think that most people would be open to hearing that and, you know, flexible to change. Yeah. It's, do you think it's going to be a key driver for wherever you're, you're at? 
Because like you implied, like the businesses, if they're crashing and burning, sure, they're looking for reasons to sure. try to do something. But if they're crashing and burning, they're also limited in terms of where they can put their resources. True. A lot of the companies that we work for, it's not that they're crashing and burning, it's that they're growing. And, and they have to know how to grow correctly. They have to know how to grow and scale correctly. They're, they're running into new growing pains. It's not like it used to be before. Hey, when I used to work here, everybody had each other's back and now it feels different and those kinds of things. That's that's probably the most common organization that we work for are the ones that are trying to grow and change. How hard is it to hold on to the company's culture when you're bringing in so many new people right and left in order to just keep up with the demand? Yeah, I mean, the, the culture is what's going to happen when it happens. So it's funny, like even the language that you use, holding on to the culture, I think what you mean is like holding on to the same culture. How do you not change it? Uh, the answer is it's impossible. Um, we, we, we say that a lot with companies. We were at a hospital up in Illinois and they had grown to 450 employees from 200 employees in wow. like two years. Wow. And the employees, one of the things we heard in our surveys when we first engaged them was it ain't like it used to be and we want to go back. Yeah. And we had to stand in front of them and saying, it's never going back. It's officially never going to go back by the power invested in us, by the owners of this organization. We are never going back to the way it was before. So now we have to think about what's it going to be moving forward. So what did we like about the elements of the culture that we had before that we can try to carry forward, but it's going to be in a different way. So you can, you can look at a, a group of employees of a company that was 200 that felt like family. Yeah. And say, that's okay. We can take 400 and still make it feel like family. Well, we but what does family look like with 400 versus, you know, or 450 versus 200. And by the way, that, that organization now has almost a thousand. So, I mean, they have grown significantly and a lot of it's because of their culture and their success, but yeah. So the answer is like, it can't be uh, if family, if your definition of family is when I walk down the hallway, I recognize everybody and I know everybody and I say hi and I know their kids and I know their families and stuff like that. That's just not realistic. You can't do that with a thousand people walking down the hallway. Okay. So that's, uh, I'm going to take this and translate it and, and um, you'll probably roll your eyes, but that's kind of like me saying, I like this state. I love Springfield. I just don't want to tell anybody I love Springfield because I don't want you coming into my city and changing my city and changing <laughs> what I love. Yeah. So I'm going to love Springfield and keep it all to myself. Mm -hmm. And I want you on the West Coast and you on the East Coast to stay away from my Midwest. Right. Because you're going to bring all the bad with you. Yeah, and there are cities that have attempted that strategy. Springfield's not one of them. No, thankfully. Thankfully. And yes. the, the cities that have attempted that strategy of saying we're going to not change realize that change is inevitable no matter what. And if you try not to change, then what you're doing is you're just letting the current take you where it takes you, which is often not in a good direction. So I think I think the the proper way to work with that organizationally is to say, let's hold on to our core values of who we are and the, those guide us, but the, the, it's going to change. It's going to be a little bit different, but let's make it better. Like, let's try to figure out ways to improve it. Let's try to make on, make ways that we can use the advantages that we have of our size versus just always worrying about the disadvantages of it. Do you find that most businesses nowadays understand the need to actually sit down and put together a mission statement, core values, what you, you know, what, what you're doing? Well, I so, mean, so many have. This is the problem, Bonnie. I think so many have, they did that. They sat down, exactly like you said, they sat down and they wrote down a mission statement someplace right. and they put it on the shelf and it's still sitting on the shelf. And you ask employees, <laughs> what's our mission, mission statement? Yeah. It's like, well, we, you told us three years ago what it was, but I haven't seen it since. We never refer to it. We never talk about it. 
And then they say, so it did nothing for me. And then the, the mistake that people make is thinking, well, there's no value in having values mission and statement. mission or a vision or those types of things. No, there's value in it if it's real and if you use it and if the people know it and you talk about it and you talk about when you hire, when you onboard, when you're, when you're complimenting employees, uh, all those things. We were having a meeting this morning at People Centric and we were talking and Philip Herzog on our team uh, is the newest person on our team. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about something and he rattled off our four values just really fast in the meeting, just really, really fast. Yeah. And I was so proud because it's not like he had to sit and study those things on the side and try to memorize them. We never did that. Right. We just, our team talks about it all the time. All the time. It just comes up a lot on an right. almost a daily basis of, hey, that was really a good job of communication. Communication is one of our values. Hey, it's going to be team over even the client. So team is one of our values or the impact that we have. Mm-hmm. It's those types of things. If you make it real on a day-to-day basis, but it kind of goes back even back to the training for the managers. How do you train the managers to have those conversations and put it in the context of the values that you have? Those systems work together to create the culture and the habits that drive uh, positive engagement. And, you know, and if you have a, if you have a great producer who sticks his hand out and says, one minute, you know that you need to end that thought right there. <laughs> and we'll be back, folks, right after this. Welcome back, everybody. This is Watching the Ozarks. Don Harkey sitting here with me. We're talking some business. And I have a question for you. What is quiet hiring and quiet quitting? How does one quietly quit? Yeah. So and why would one quietly quit? Why would some quietly quit? You yeah. just go up to your boss and you say, I quit. I know. <laughs> I'm leaving right now. I'm going to tiptoe out of here. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what what are we talking about? So there's, there's, there's three different quiet statements now out okay. there, which is if you're playing buzzword bingo at home, like get your, get your chips ready because gotcha. you're going to, you're going to be out to win. But there's quiet quitting was the first one that I heard. And the idea is I'm an employee for you and I'm getting frustrated with my job. So I'm going to stop doing my job well, but I'm not going to leave the job. Oh, so you still get to pay me. You still pay me. and I'm just going to hang out, but I quit really a long time ago. And you're just, I'm going to, you're going to see minimal or no effort from me. Okay. For a while. I'm going to leave the job without leaving the job. I'm going to at least be disengaged, right, in terms of the job. And now, did, did you see a lot? I mean, I can't imagine a lot of that happening. I mean, it's nothing new, actually. It's a, no. the, Statistically, it's 51% of the U.S. workforce are disengaged at work, so they've already kind of quiet quit. Gotcha. Now, there's different rates. Does that mean they actually quit, like they do zero right. work and they're still there? Probably not, but they're, they're not giving you their all, right? They're in meetings and you ask for ideas. They're not speaking up. They see a problem. They're not saying their anything. eyes glaze over. Their eyes glaze over. Yeah. They're just, okay, okay, I don't really want to be here. I'm going to kind of cross my mind. And those, those are the kind of people that can be just team killers. Yeah. And it's the, the we're not hardwired to be that, right? Yeah. It goes back to the right people. Like sometimes we think, I think historically old management philosophy is that people, quiet quitters are always quiet quitters. But the truth is, is that quiet quitters are, can be very engaged employees if we find ways to re-engage them right. and they, and they can win out. So yeah, there's that okay. term quiet quitting. There's also quiet, uh, the quiet firing has been, was the second one that I've heard where, and it's the opposite of that. So it's the employer. So you work for me and I've given up on you, but I'm not going to fire you, but I'm no longer going to support you and talk to you or do the management. Oh, things okay. With you. okay. So you're, you're going to get a pretty clear. So I'm not giving you any new big projects. I'm not giving you any opportunities. I'm not giving you performance evaluations. I'm not giving you raises. I'm not giving you coaching. I'm just waiting, hoping that you'll get the message and you'll leave. Okay. Now here's my question on that. Why? I mean, why would they want to just continue paying somebody 
that they're not going to, you know, help give back to the company and just keep them on payroll. So I doubt that in those situations, I'm trying to put myself in the room where somebody sits down and deliberately thinks of a strategy and says, okay, well, Bonnie, I don't think needs to be here anymore. So let's not tell her, let's keep paying her, but let's not manage her anymore. I don't think anyone actually says that. I think what happens is it goes back to the management training thing is the managers get frustrated with that employee and say, I'm just going to not focus any more time and energy over there. So it's just like the quiet firing. It's like you didn't really fire that person and you're not not managing them at all. You just gave up on that employee a long time ago and you're just not going through the motions to get rid of them. Sometimes some companies, it's hard to fire somody. They, it's, you have to fill out paperwork. You have to go to HR. You have to work through it. You have to justify it. You all have, those to have, things. have three warnings, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and so sometimes there's this myth out there that says our company just won't fire anybody. And I've never run into a company where they won't. Uh, there's just many of them. They don't train their managers on how to document and how to go through that process in a healthy way so that they can remove somebody. Uh, and and <clears throat> firing somebody needs as much training Almost as hiring somebody nowadays. Only if you don't want to get sued. Well, yeah. Like we've <laughs> yeah, talked to a pl- employment attorneys who say like they would eliminate 99% of their cases if their managers just treated their employees well. Like just treat them nicely. Like I can tell you you're not doing a good job, but I don't have to be a jerk about it. That's true. I can be nice about it and we can mm-hmm. have multiple conversations. And if we get really clear, uh, then most people don't come back and sue uh, when they have those conversations the right way. So it's another one of those soft skill things that don't feel very soft when you're sitting in the courtroom having to pay an attorney to at least defend you against a former employee who you quiet quit on or they quiet quit on you and you quiet fired them, them. at the same time. Uh, and now you're, you're fighting a year later. Uh, yeah. And then the last term is quiet hiring. Now that at least sounds po- promising. It does sound promising. What's funny is of the three of them, it's the one that is probably the worst, I think. Or the not the worst. I'm sorry. Of the three of them, it's the one that's probably not as much of the problem. Oh, okay. So quiet hiring is the idea. Like as a company, we have decided to do something new that we and we don't hire anybody new to do the new thing that we're going to do. We're going to redistribute the tasks amongst the existing employees. So you're going to pick up an extra project, a little bit of extra work. I'm going to increase the scope of your job or change the scope of your job without moving without hiring anybody. Now, it's not always good and it's not always bad, right? Depends on how you do it. If you're a business owner and you think, I can launch this new product without having to hire anybody, that's a pretty good business move. That's savvy, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you're doing that and you're still doing every bit of work that you were doing before and now I added a lot more work to your plate. Not so good. That could be not so good, right? So I think that there's some of that that's really healthy and we actually encourage it. Because think about it from an employee standpoint is if we're going to launch a brand new product and I'm look at you and say, you're a high potential employee, I could give you an opportunity to get involved in that new product and I could kind of see what you can do in that project. And then you have an opportunity to show me what you can do. And so now you have an opportunity to maybe move up in the company, to get noticed, to gain some new skill sets you wouldn't have before, get a little bit more variety in your job. So that's when it can be good. When it's bad is it's like, okay, you're working 60 hours a week and I need you to pick up this extra 20, you know, that's, and that can happen too. So there's a balance to the quiet hiring piece. Um, but the other two are generally bad. Quiet quitting is not a good idea and no. quiet firing is not a good idea. Why did they choose the word quiet in front of all of this? I mean, it's trendy. I don't know. Is that just it? Hashtag quiet something. Hashtag, I guess you're probably right. It's, Everything has to be, everything's hashtag now. Everything is hashtag and the key. Yeah, I don't know two words. I really I'm not you know, we're in a world now where somebody can coin that and post it someplace and people like it. 
you know, I know. And, and I and think it just keeps one, going on and on and on. I think the quiet hiring came from employees who are frustrated with being having job duties continuously added to their added plate. to their plate. Yeah, I think that's where it probably came from, and they're probably justified in that frustration uh, if the workload's not being considered, which is a problem. Let's uh, talk about things that are trending, and I don't know if this is actually trendy or not, but let's talk about artificial intelligence Oh yeah. in the workforce, in the hiring, in just about everything nowadays. Yeah. Um, people are, there's a lot of angst out there when you bring up the term artificial intelligence. I think most of us have seen Terminator movies, and we are scared. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit, right? Yeah, it's going to take over the world, It's going right? to take over the world. It's going to become self-aware, and then we're all in trouble, right? right. Or, yeah. you know, on yeah. a very practical standpoint, gonna my job's, job's. going to get replaced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I saw I, a statistic, I'm, and I think it was like 12% of jobs in the next seven or eight years are going to become obsolete because of AI. But is that not always true over the centuries? Yeah, I think that has been true for quite a while. I mean, we, yeah, we, we no longer have, like, you know, people to... I don't know, shoe horses in, on every block. Right, yeah. I don't have one on my block. No, I, don't know I haven't block. had one on my block the whole time I've lived I there, don't even so. know where to get my horseshoe. I'll be honest. And to be honest, I don't even have a horse. I haven't seen my horse in no, exactly. ever, maybe in a no. really long time. But. So I think people losing sleep over some of this is just you're losing sleep. Well, I think there's this is getting embraced. Like it often, technology often gets embraced when there's a need, and I think the shortage of people in the workforce is causing companies to try to embrace AI to try to improve efficiencies in some space. Now, where I'm seeing a misuse of it a lot is in marketing. Ah, how? I get more emails. I did not think it was possible. I get more <laughs> emails now that somehow bypass all my filters and all my defense systems. They get to me that are companies that are trying to reach me, and it's clearly written by AI and automated uh, email yeah. services. And they, the, the, the standard has shifted. It used to be like you had to subscribe to those emails or you could unsubscribe right. or click a button on that. And now they're saying in the emails, like, if you don't want this, just write back to me and tell me you don't want this. And maybe I, I, I feel myself sounding like I'm old-fashioned on that, but I'm like, why do I have to tell you to you. stop? Yeah. Like, don't, I didn't tell you to start. Like, don't come to me with all of that stuff. I see people posting automated posts on social media. And I feel like at some point we're going to be reading just automated posts from each other and it loses communication. So we've done something really radical at people centric. What? We have disassembled. We had a marketing machine that had some automated emails. Like if you go to our website and you click on something, you could subscribe to something and you would, right? and there's still a little bit of that, but you really have to subscribe to it. The rest of it, we've shut off. We are going against the technology. We're going against the grain and the AI stuff. And not all across the board, but in this one specific area. And we have implemented a very manual marketing system where we are communicating directly with potential clients and our clan clients and past clients. And it is working great. What a concept. What a weird thing to do. I mean, you're actually talking to people? It's kind of like the thing, like, imagine pulling somebody in sales from, like, you know, 70 years ago or something and saying, we have this new concept where whenever we're going to go after a new employee we go, or a new customer, we call them and we talk to them. Oh, yeah. And like, how strange is that? What were you doing before that? Yeah. Yeah. But we see so many sales teams. There's so many tools out there. They're getting... They're getting, I don't want to say lazy, but I, it makes sense to me. Like, cause it, it worked for a while of like, I'm going to blast out to these lists and then I'm going to get these leads that come in. And what we're seeing sales teams is they're seeing decreasing impact from that. 
So they're trying to look for what do I do? What's the next technology? Well, you know, and you, you just wonder how creative this thing could possibly be. I mean, you know, it's they're not getting the input from a myriad of sources like a lot of people in sales and marketing are able to do, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you're not just you're not just communicating back and forth with one person. So, I you know, I always think Okay, so yes, so maybe artificial intelligence could write my college paper on, I don't know, U.S. arms and how they affect China. Yes. But, you know, can it really give you a Eudora Welty book? Right, right. Or a Dickens? Right. Or, you know, can, can it really come up with a speech like, you know, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. Right. Can right. it really do it with that emotion? It could probably shorten Dickens. Dickens was very verbose. Well, that, that probably is Probably too many words. But that yes, the yes. others I'm with you on 100%. <laughs> on, yeah, it doesn't, it's not the art, right? So right. I think we're AI, and, and it sounds like when I'm talking, and it's, I, I did done a couple articles and interviews about this a little bit, and some people have said, well, you're anti-AI, and that's not true at all. In fact, we embrace AI, and we have AI and we use it for things like research. Um, you, sometimes it's a good primer. Like you can say, I'm trying to like U.S. arms for, with China. And if you're trying to write a paper on that, like tell me a little bit about that. And it will tell you some stuff and it'll give you some ideas on something to write about. But it doesn't replace us. It doesn't replace us. It should accent us. It should be a, an accelerator for us, not a replacement of us. A few more questions on AI, but we're going to take a break first. We'll be right back. And welcome back, everybody. Don Harkey has been joining me for this hour, and I can't believe we're in the last segment of it, but uh, a couple things to hit on before I let you go. Yeah. Um, I have an article here dating back to the very beginning of the year. Headline says, hiring slowdowns, manager burnout, and other trends that will shape U.S. workplaces in 2023, experts say. So, were the experts correct? So fun to open a time capsule, isn't it? And yes. go backwards and look and say, yes. like, was that right? I yeah. always like to do that. Yeah, I think that's pretty close. You know, I, I think the, especially the, you know, the manager burnout, we certainly do talk to a lot of middle managers, supervisors, executives who are very tired about seeing what's going on and they're frustrated. Uh, and I think that frustration sometimes spins. Like if you're frustrated with the people that work for you, you're going to act like you're frustrated it's going to change how you treat the people that you work with or who work for you. Right. That's going to change how they treat you. And now you've got the cycle that, that spins out of control. So yeah, we've certainly seen that and we're trying to encourage that. I think that there's some hope from that side. Um, and then the hiring slowdown piece, I mean, it slowed down, but I think it was at such a frantic pace before that it doesn't seem like it's slowed down. Yeah. The market has not shifted from the standpoint of it's still a an employee market. You know. And it's been that way now since 21? It's been that way since it started. The, the lines inversed in 2018. So 2018. like the number of jobs available versus the jobs job seekers, those two lines aren't supposed to cross in economics. And they crossed in 2018 before the pandemic. Is this the longest period then that it's been like a, a, a job seekers market? For, for in probably modern history, yes. I think it's a little bit unusual. It's because the baby boomer generation was so large. Yes. And then they're retiring and the 10,000 a day they're leaving. So that volume of people leaving the workforce and that much experience is creating a burden on the workforce overall. And we just didn't make enough replacements for that generation. So it's going to be, it's going to be a problem for a while. Even with, I, because I noticed that there seem to be 
to me, more people who are retired going back to work because they want to. Yes. Not because they have to. Yeah. I think that's a very good tip for employers. I think that if I think baby boomers are your next source of filling this gap. And how strange is that? I think it's I think it's great. And I think they're going to have to figure out how to be really flexible with that. And an unusual flexibility, flexibility you didn't imagine that you could have mm-hmm. before. So imagine you have somebody that works for you who's just a rock star employee for, you know, 45 years and they go and they retire and they go and they play golf for six months and they come back and say, oh you my know, gosh, I'm going crazy. I'm going crazy. I was used to working all this time and I can't, I just want to work for you, but I want to take, you know, four months of vacation time. Exactly. I want to work 20 hours a week and I'm not going to work Wednesdays and Fridays. Yes. And some employers are flipping through their employee manual and saying, we have nothing in here that accommodates that. And they're saying no. And we're sitting here going, what? You're saying no to a, a give them, it doesn't mean you have to cater. And, yeah. 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 Bring the expertise in. like be flexible with that group. Allow them to come in and make an impact. Now, you have to be careful about internal equity and things like that because there's not everybody's going to get that. But I think people understand somebody coming in with that level of experience and saying, yeah, you've earned that. You've earned that moment to come in to take Fridays off and take three months sabbaticals every six months or whatever it is. Uh, but imagine the workload and the experience that you can get. I mean, it's totally worth it. I uh, uh, One of my good friends, as a matter of fact, is 77 and has she did her retirement. She re- she retired completely from 67 to 68 and a half, just short of 69. Yeah. And decided that, that the whole full-time retirement thing was not what. Yeah. So she's been working part-time ever since. Yeah. She just goes, you know, she, she's gone to a couple different companies and generally they're small, like insurance agencies, but she's, it's her, you know, she's got those abilities and she works three days a week or whatever. And, yeah. and, they're, they're winning. She's happy and everything is just copacetic. I think if people can, again, the flexibility, I think is the key to that because I think a lot of boomers, I, I, I think of that my, for myself. Like I would like to be able to retire, but I don't see myself just fully retiring. Right. I just want to have the choice to whether I, how much I work or what that looks like. And so if there's employers out there that are going to be flexible with that, I think you're going to be well rewarded for that. And you know, that's not, that's not a new concept. I mean, I remember 20 years ago, they had a uh, employment agency up in Buffalo, just up the road from us, called Senior Something. Oh. And that's that's all they did Yeah, was have 65 plus or 55 plus people that they were putting into the marketplace. I think it's awesome. I mean, you know, it's I've been connected with the Give 5 program here and talked to Greg mm-hmm. Bruce about that, that United Way has taken. And one of the things that they talk about is how we use that workforce too. It's not just the flexibility, but like initially when they connected people who are retirees. So GIF5 is a program that connects retirees to do volunteer work. Right. Well, initially the volunteer jobs that were given were like, hey, go file this for me or sit at the reception desk or something. And those are fine. And that might be what some people are looking for. Right. But then he's looking at somebody who's like, okay, so you were a CFO for a large company and you've got tons of financial skill sets. And you brought them in and you're asking them to file for you. Like your financials aren't in great case. Have them help you with the financials. Have them be your CFO. Like pick his brain. Use use them for what they can do. And that I mean, we need purpose. We're not just sitting on the side. You can retire at work too, I guess, and show up and sit at the reception desk. I guess you can. So I mean you just have to decide. I think you have to be really open in terms of what can you what what that connection is. 
I can't believe I'm going to say this, but is that like hashtag quiet retiring? Hashtag quiet retiring. <laughs> okay. Latest one. Latest yeah, There you go. Buzzword. Wow. Just coined it. Just came out. Okay. So let's talk. We just talked about 2023. Let me pick your brain. 2024. We're yeah. almost there. We By last quarter, it's going to fly by really quickly. Always does. Yeah. yeah. I think we're going to, I think you're going to see limited growth in the economy. I think it's going to be a rough election year. Is, I think is going to be the theme. Uh, so you're going to see some just some uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty in 2024, which I think for workforce is going to translate into more mental health issues. Ah. I think you already have a lot of mental health issues in the workforce. I think we have a lot of mental health issues that are left over from COVID. I think we're starting to normalize mental health, uh, which is great. As, as we should be. Which yes. we absolutely should be doing that. Yeah, I think that we all have to recognize that we all need help from time to time. I think uh, I've, I've certainly done that. Uh, I've, uh, we, we encourage that for everybody. Mental health is health. Mental health is just health. Yeah. yeah. It's a form of health and we all like, need that help. Exactly. And I think that the, that anxiety that I think people are going to feel through the course of the year is going to put it front and center for employers. And you're going to have people come and say like, I need a mental health day or I need some time or I need some help. And I think employers are going to have to look beyond and it's not say, oh, it's those Gen Z's asking for mental health days, which nobody else used to they're ask just, for. They're going to the beach or They're going whatever, to the beach yeah. or doing something and leaning even past that and saying, like, what can I do to help you? Like, how can I support you? What resources do we have? And making sure you have things like employee assistance programs, if you're a bigger company, you can afford that. Or if you're a smaller company, there's lots of ways you can have resources for employees or just even referral places to say, hey, here's what we can do to, here's what you can do to make sure you take care of yourself. And then I think we as leaders, as company owners have to be open to say, yeah, I've been through therapy. I've been, I've gotten help. I've gone to see psychiatrists. I've been, and it's okay. That's not a yeah. sign of weakness. It's okay to get that help. Because I think, or don't you think, because uh, because I do, people in, that are employed are afraid still to this day to bring up to management the fact that they're having some sort of mental or emotional disturbance yeah. and they need help. Yeah, and I mean, unfortunately, oftentimes management's part of the disturbance. Well, so I, it's it's part of the thing that I'm going to go talk to my therapist about tomorrow, right? Is that my manager's a jerk. So if you go to your yeah. manager and say like, well, what's stressing you out? You know, well, you are, you, you are. know, that's which is not exactly the healthiest way to open up that conversation. Probably not. So, so yeah, you, it's a little bit tricky. And I think some employers are wrestling with the idea of, is that my responsibility or not? And I wouldn't say necessarily it's your responsibility. I think it's just smart business. It's a good thing to do. I say this a lot. The right thing to do by people is the right thing to do as a business for your employees. If you have engaged employees, you will perform better. You will make more profits at the end of the day. If you care about your employees, not only is that the right thing to do, that 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 combats that manager burnout that we read from 2023. That's the, that's the secret to combating that is if you feel good about the impact you're making, not only in the job and the product that you create, but with the people that you're making it with, uh, then I think people will... They'll, they'll be loyal to you. They'll work hard for you. You'll see things that you don't see. It'll be weird. You'll be, you'll be able to find employees, right? You'll be able to beat the other, other right. people that don't do those things. Uh, yeah. So let me ask you a question. The average person sitting out there listening to us that, that may be in management, that may own a company, that, you know, whatever, um, there's only one of, of your company. So it's not like everybody and their brother can hire people centric. Oh, sure you. they can. We'll go bring yeah, it. Yeah, You'll just, keep we'll try going. it. We'll do it. We'll grow. Okay. We got people love to come work for us. What I mean, what, what are your suggestions uh, for some of these people who are like going to tear their hair out before the end of the year? 
Yeah. Are you talking about like businesses that are yes. worrying about this? Yeah. I mean, I really think that don't shoulder this on your own. I think that's the number one thing I see is you see business owners or managers or executives who say, I have to figure all of this out. And I think they protect their people and they protect their people for good reasons is they like their people and they don't right. want to put stress on them. But at the end of the day, one of the things that one of the most common things we advise, especially new clients that we're working with is we say, bring your employees in and share the challenges that you have. Let them become part of it. They feel it on the other side. What you're doing is you're giving them an opportunity to make a difference on the company and your future and to help you out. And that builds a relationship. If I ask you, Bonnie, if I called you this weekend and said, I really need your help on something and it was legit and you could help me on it and you help me on it, that builds our relationship. Sure. That doesn't hurt our relationship. It's not like I spent capital in our relationship. Right. It actually builds it. I think employers need to turn to their people that they already work for them, that are that want to care and know that they're smart and they're capable individuals and engage them for the company's success. And by the way, there are companies out there that do that, that you can look at, and and it works. They're weirdly good. Yes. They're, they're the ones that sit quietly at the conferences when I say, hey, are you having trouble finding people? And they're the ones that sit there without raising their hand and go, no, I'm not having trouble finding people. We haven't had trouble finding people. I'm proud of that at our company. Like We have been able to hire great people for our team whenever we've had job openings for things. It's It's been they're fun to there. watch. They're, I mean, they're totally out there. You know, because um, you just have to... I guess what provide them with the right incentive. Yeah, yeah, not even the incentive, so to speak. You just have to allow them to get in the game, and and to say even they're out there, I'd even say they're in there too. You know, if I, I've talked, I've told stories of really highly engaged teams where people are giving up their time and working extra hard and just giving everything they are. And sometimes employers come to me and say, "Where do you find people like that?" And I always say, "They probably already work for you." Uh, you just have to look for them you just have to they're there they're already there they're you work with them every day they might be the ones that are already quiet quit go to them and bring the problems and you'll watch them unquit and you'll watch them work their butts off for you that's an interesting that, that, that you know you people don't ever think of looking inside their own company probably yeah they're just human beings humans want to engage oh really okay well producer arlen again we're we're out of time don can't believe it. This I time know. went by so fast. We have so much fun. Thanks so much for coming in. Now, thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Bonnie. Sure, appreciate that. Everybody, thanks for joining us today. This is Watching the Ozarks. Thank you for listening to the People-Centered Podcast. We are so grateful for you joining us every week. If you like this content, please like and subscribe. Also, feel free to share on your social media with everyone that you know. It really does help us. If you would like to contact us, I have put our information in the show notes. Please reach out anytime. We love hearing from you. We will be back next week with a new topic. Until then, be well and lead well.